I mean, we're really always doing you the podcast. Take You're awful, little Of rent. Like, I really thought no. you were going to take advantage because I'm like, you know, we're already on the subject. So. I mean, to be fair, we're always recording the podcast. It's just that we only actually sit down in front of a microphone twice a month. Again. Us around is just this. <laughs> Dear fair. listeners, if you ever want to hear the podcast live, you just show up to the library when all of us are working. It's That's it. That's all you have to that do. Tracks, that yeah. tracks. It's also just glorious. Like I said, we need just one day where we just set the microphone down randomly and let us just go off. I mean, you and I were arguing the other day and Aaron was really threatening to do that. What were we arguing about? What Anything? were we arguing about? Throw out the little mini lassos and pull us in a little bit. We'll get to the, dear listeners, we'll get to the topic at hand in a moment because it's really, really, really important. Yes. However, what are we all reading? Start with you and then Oh, my goodness. I want to be last. I oh, okay. am reading Chaotic Good. I have the book right here so I can even tell you. Whitney Gardner, uh, admittedly, it's D&D related. I saw it on the shelf. I'm like, this looks really cool. Nice. So, I, you know, I'm only like 10 pages in and a woman's facing a gatekeeper kind of BS incident in a co- comic book shop. Guy's like testing her. <laughs> um, like you do. Like you do. Not like Andy does. Well, okay, fair. Yeah. Now, that's what I'm reading. Uh, Chaotic Good by Whitney Gardner. I'm also reading uh, Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Mm. And, you know, balance. Heavy, light. Heavy, light. Yeah, that's kind of the way you gotta do it. Senior Grant, Lord-ish. Um, so the book I was gonna read is currently somewhere in the mail system. I don't know what's going on with that, but, um, in the (laughs) the mail or mail? Both. Oh, so, <laughs> um, so I'm currently you know? listening to the audiobook of Sacrament by Clive Barker. Ooh, it is. It, I, I didn't look up. I didn't look into it at all before I started it. Yeah. Um, but it's very, it's very interesting so far. It's very, very creepy. Well, it's Clive okay. Barker. Quick channel. little plug: it is uh, audiobook appreciation month. So stay oh. tuned for next. Just the next don't podcast. Jump the gun. Right. We have a different topic first. Chill, boy. We'll get there. Don't be that kind of ally. Not on TV. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you got me started. Okay, I'm just going to take over now. Yeah, please. I should have brought popcorn. Uh, I'm still, I believe I was midway through my Throne of Glass reread last time, and I'm still there because I took a break in the middle to read Maggie Stiefvater's newest book, so I needed to get that done first. So right now I am on Empire of Storms. And I just love the world building in this universe, guys. Like, I will keep bothering you guys about it until one of you reads it. Listen, I've read most of the first one. I'm, I'm getting there. Except you still like Kyle, so. You all know that I have problematic taste in men for the most part, so, you know, it's a thing. I feel like that's a mood. I feel like that's a mood. Oh, His name's a... not really Kyle, but it deserves to be Kyle. He's very much a Kyle. Sorry for all y'all Kyles that are listening, but y'all no, are problematic, though. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you're, like the kind of, you're like the kind of individual, like, I'm going to take care of myself, self-care, love myself. This is a year of me. Ooh, look, a guy that I probably shouldn't be interested in. <laughs> because literally, I do take care of myself. I'm good. And, you know... Men are fun. They're not meant to be serious. Aaron, please jump in. Yeah. What are you reading? Can I, can Playing, I take watching? over here? Um, <laughs> so, uh, book I'm reading. Um, so, I finally started reading it. Jen knows exactly which book I'm talking about. It's called Come Back to Me. <laughs> it's by a 
Jody Hedlund. Jen was fist pumping. <laughs> <by the> way, <laughs> the audience. Yeah, you missed that. Um, so context for why Jen is fist pumping in the air while I say this. Um, we, she was looking through this Christian fiction catalog earlier this year. Oh, and the, <laughs> yes, that this, book. This, this, yes. This crazy one. Yes. <laughs> so the book has this premise of this this girl. Um, she's a research scientist, and her dad is try was trying to save her sister, and her sister I think passed away. Yeah. Yes. And. After drinking some holy water, her dad falls in a coma, but it's believed that this holy water is from like way back in like uh, like medieval, like, yeah, that, like way back when. So it's been tainted by Stephanie. Middle Ages. Not quite Cana, but yeah. you know. So yeah. she goes back in time to go find the tree of life to get this holy water to try to save her dad. But she falls in love with this knight at the same time, so she has to fight the idea of if she wants to stay there or not. God, I want this to be so good. Is I this hope like, tells me this is, is good. Is this like Outlander plus Holy Water? Yes. yes. I'm obsessed. <laughs> and so it came in and I saw it and I immediately was like, Jen, we need to order this book. So she ordered it. And now it's here. I processed it. It's at my house right now. I have started reading it, yeah. and so that's fun. Yeah, you got to finish it because it's got to be my turn soon. And but then, obviously, you got there first. Yes. And then, meanwhile, I just picked up the Outer Worlds again. Oh, cool. Of course. Because um, I just realized, because I was playing through one of my older saves, that you can um, upgrade your armor. And I was like, really? I could have put on these overalls that I had been in love with since the first part of this game I love the whole how she time. says, you can upgrade your armor. So I put on overalls. <laughs> no, those are The so sapphic <laughs> energy in that <laughs> sentence was so... The armor so is like, this like engineer's <laughs> overalls and like they're really low like armor number and you can like upgrade them later. <laughs> and I didn't realize and I was like, I could have spent so much more money just not having to do that and doing whatever I want. And so now I have to restart the game all over again. I'm obsessed. <laughs> no, okay. you're turning And you know, obsessed. you acted shocked at the, the armor change up. Really, a pair of standard overalls would cover more than the average feminine armor and any other. You're not here. wrong. True. That's true, but That'll we will talk about how awful that's not the topic today. Is represented, we'll, yeah, in, we'll talk oh, about yeah, that in another there. episode. We'll make a video game episode just yeah. for so what, are, what are you reading, Anthony? I just finished this morning at 5 a.m. It was really 4.49 a.m., but still. I, um, I finished reading or listening to Call Me By Your Name, written by yes. Andre Ossiman yes. and narrated by Army Hammer, who... You know, cannibalism aside, is in <laughs> a race you're gonna get there. And yes, folks, Google it. Army Hammer cannibalism. You will be shocked. Um, incredible narrator. He knows how to do his job, which is why he has had the job. We'll see if he continues to. But anyway, incredible narrator. Um, beautifully written book. Uh, I'm still shook. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, Aaron's Googling it. I just told you. I told you. I'm with just, you. Just leave, just leave that for them. Leave that pleasure for the listeners, because I'm telling you, it's... There's a, even more than it, that. There's more. Oh, there, oh, there's more. That just, that's where it starts. But again, that's not our topic today. You're right. So, so, there's yeah, going to be a little yeah, yep. parenthetical caveat yeah. to the audiences when this thing goes live. Whatever we tell you to Google, do not Google. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Double parenthetical, you know. Please Google. So, like, that's he... what's our topic, Andy? Because this that book actually fits very well. True. Oh, you got to go. Okay. Oh. Well, writing up, okay. call me by your name. Okay. Right? Call me by your name. Yeah. Call me by your yeah. name. Um, what month is it? June? It's Pride it's Month. It's Pride Month. Dun, 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 dun. I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you were queued up. Yeah. <laughs> we are delving again. into uh, the issue of pride, the topic of pride within Thank literature, you. media. What? Issue. Carry on. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Yeah, it's fine. You're it's so fine. Fine. It's snippy fine. today. I'm sorry. Are, are, I let Andy speak. Are we, right. are we Carry on. Fight today? Can I? <laughs> no, let's actually, let's start with this. Oh. Why, oh. why is issue why is issue a bad okay so why isn't in it? case in case i'm just gonna assume that we're talking to civilians here the uninitiated we are what if there's a member of the law enforcement listening i mean are you ostracizing them now are they a queer member of the anyway, civilian so, as somebody who yes, doesn't exactly know. the uninitiated so we're to, telling the audience don't know and i'm gonna assume all of you don't know not all of you but anyway there is a long, despicable, detestable, deplorable, I could keep going until Please I'm Jane don't. Austen adjectives <laughs> in the face, history of uh, issue-oriented fiction um, featuring queer characterization, usually mm-hmm. not written by, but there's a good deal of that written by queer people who are like, I just want to be famous or I just want to whatever, whatever. So they write, you know, a queer issue book because, hey, I've experienced it and that always wins points. Anyway, the point is there's a whole history of this in fiction and it's really irritating um, because it's something that's expected by audience members or was. It's expected by like the character has to suffer because they're gay. There's a whole like group of texts that literally the only thing they have in common is there's a gay person dealing with what that means and a dog dies. Yeah, that's that like and the, and the dog dying is a consequence of said person grappling with their sexuality. It's a strange thing. I, oh. So issue and queer always just together for me. I'm just like <laughs> fighting words. So I mean, I hear issue and queer and I just think of the 2019 top 10 band books list. Or every banned book Not since the last, last year. couple of this years. This last year we cycled back to books being banned because of race. Oh, uh, well, you know. Next Ooh, year. I almost, well, that was, <laughs> I really almost said something rude that didn't require swear words and I don't want anyone to think that I take this as a joke. So I'm going to ignore that. Okay. That just almost came out of my mouth. We'll have a moment of calm meditation. Woo, sad. <laughs> this is supposed to be happy. I don't know why I'm so cranky. Tell us about your favorite Pride books, Anthony. Yeah. Favorite? Oh, I have a list. Okay. Oh, God. List. I'm so excited. And. Okay, top so three. <laughs> I have top three authors first. Anything by Kai Ashanti Wilson. He is a fantasy writer. He mm-hmm. is a black fantasy writer. He is a gay black fantasy writer. Kyle Ashanti Wilson? Kai. K-A-I. Ashanti okay. Wilson. Yes. Find him. Read him. Talk to me about him. He is the most underrated author what in America. What does he write? Uh, there's a uh, book. His first debut book was Sorcerer of the Wild Deeps. So good, um, but not anywhere close as good as his the sequel, or not really a sequel, Companion. It's set in the yeah. same world. A Taste of Honey. 
so good. Um, and then Super Bass is my favorite like short fiction piece of his. Mm-hmm. It's a longish short story, but it's beautiful, um, especially if you're looking for something like Super Poly. Um, it's amazing. Um, then I will also give you Brandon Taylor, who debuted last summer, or well, debut novel last summer yeah. with Real Life. Great book. Uh, I have my qualms and quibbles with it, but it's a great book. Um, he writes beautiful sentences and he tells a good story. Um, look for the dinner scene. That's all I'm going to say. And he has a short story collection coming out in a couple weeks. Oh, June 22nd. Nice. I think yeah. it's in a card. I think. Yes. Feels the animals. It's going to be great. And then the unstoppable force that is Case and Calendar. They are black. They are queer. They are trans. They are everything. And they write... A and book you that Jen it. has loved, right? Felix, yeah. you read Felix, right? I didn't get to read Felix. Oh, yet. you didn't read Felix. Oh, okay. This is how much I love a case in calendar. I read one, like one of his books, King and the Dragonflies. I've read more than that, but King and the Dragonflies was the middle grade one that I just loved, and I bought an entire stack for Jen, like of Kaysen's books. Yes, that was, was my like, Pride Month gift from Anthony last year. Yeah. Was four Kaysen calendar yeah. books, and yeah. I'm yeah. deeply. Yeah. I think my favorite of the ones that you were able to purchase me was probably Hurricane Child. Oh, I need to read that one. I liked okay. that one. Like, it was just a nice, okay. like, again, juvenile fiction, but I just thought very well done story. Yeah. yeah, what are your favorites? Do you have favorites? I know you have favorites. I mean, Casey McQuiston. Okay, so which one do you like more? I yeah. don't know, honestly. Because, like, I mean, I gut instinct is Red, White, and Royal Blue, but I've read it two, three times now. Well, yeah. As opposed to One Last Step, which I only had read the once because it only just came out last week. <laughs> oh, she just wants. Yeah, yeah, right. She says as if that's really a reason why. Like, I read books once a year, Max. <laughs> this is like Jen Noble. We're talking about y'all. Oh, that's fa- okay. Yeah, okay. I don't let myself reread books more than once a year because I would just keep rereading Red, White, and Royal Blue until my eyes fell out of my head. Well, I want to expand my horizons yes, a little bit. Your call the midwife record definitely bears that. Yes, <laughs> there's a reason I have to keep track of what I read to do that. Yeah, right. Because they are like they're both very good. And they have very similar things, like the humor base level, just the style of humor is very similar in both, and it's something I love. There's a lot of, like, friendship as found family, which I deeply love. Yeah. But, like, Red, White, and Royal Blue is just such, like, the rom-commy, enemies to lovers, slight political thriller bend to it, Mm -hmm. which is its own thing. And then One Last Up is the displaced lesbian stuck on the Q train romance (laughs) novel. (laughs) That, Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, as as it happens to all of us, which I'm sure we have all experienced it's in our lives before. So every time I get on a train. Yeah, and it just but there's more unpacking of like sort of the B plot is what if you were raised Gilmore Girl style, except your mom was also actually obsessed with the cold case disappearance of her older brother in the '70s and like literally trained you how to break into archives and find the information you need at like the tender age of nine. Um, all right. So it's just, it's totally different in places. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, like, entirely in places, (laughs) she said, ironically. I mean, okay, but One Last Step also has the iconic restaurant Pancake Billy's House of Pancakes. So, like, there's not not goofiness in it. Right, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. There's a drag queen called Annie Depressant. That's right. You told me that. Yeah, I forgot about that one. I'm so rounding back a little bit, are we focusing on uh, queer authors or was it? Because I can't remember. The, was it your top three queer authors or? I started books? with authors just because it was easier to sort of instead of just like throwing titles at you because I could do that all day long. Yeah. I chose three. I mean, I have titles, but 
I chose those titles specifically because they are things that I've read from those authors. And I think um, something that's extraordinary about all three of them is that they all three do very different things. Mm -hmm. They're all three authors who did not have published work before 2010. Um, And they're not, I mean, okay, so Brandon was um, shortlisted for the Booker for his debut novel, so like, no small fry. But it's significant to note that that's something that's possible now, whereas, you know, before that, there were tons of black queer authors who just disappeared, and the last one we had of any significance was James Baldwin. Now, James Baldwin, is one of the best writers in the English canon, period. You can't fight with that. His sentences are ridiculous. However... What is your right? You should... That's just if you weren't going to try and pick fight. However, one should not have to be James Baldwin to be remembered as a writer of American fiction. I mean, it's, you know, it's American, what's the big deal, right? Like, and I appreciate, like... (sighs) Glad you started with the list that you started with, but I know we kind of had a pre-discussion, too, where when we were planning about this, mm-hmm. we also didn't necessarily want to just limit ourselves to queer authors no, today. No, no, no. Because you don't know who's closeted, you don't know yeah. who's historical, and if they had had the terminology that we have today, would have identified as something, but didn't have the vocabulary for yeah. it. Yeah. It lands to a couple of questions I had going in. And really quick, I this, I'm kind of thinking about this. I'm gonna play the ignorant person here. Like, if you were to ask me, what are your top three or top five favorite favorite queer novels? Um, lack of knowledge, really. I mean, Red, White, Royal, Blue—that comes to mind. Um, Check, trying to please. Make, hmm? Check. Oh, I'm ready yet. So good. I mean, that's uh, like barring any fan fiction. That's like the only one that I've actually I actually read. So graphic but, novel. You know. The the Sunstone, the the BDSM graphic novel series that I went through. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, really, I. Consciously can't think of that many I've read. I have that, that advantage or disadvantage. You of. literally just finished either bound. It's true. That was that wasn't in your face though. So like that I, still counts. It, okay, it counts. I like that it's not in your face. Yeah, I, like I, I didn't immediately step away from it. Oh yeah, th- there's that. No, but I like that it's not. If you want to call it stealth queer, or whatever you want to say, but like <laughs> so brilliant. But like that we don't. Like you were saying yeah. originally about the issue books point, Anthony, mm-hmm. that not every queer book has to be, here's this book about my trauma with coming out. Here's this book with me discovering that I am trans and all the trauma that that causes me. Mm-hmm. Here's X, Y, and Z. Like, sometimes it can just be a book where, like, hi, this is a romance novel. It happens to be about two guys who fall in love, but the problem is not them dealing with falling in love. The problem is, like their mom getting blackmailed by another senator for her son dating the Prince of England, but that's a very extenuating circumstance. Spoiler it's probably not well, very relatable. Like, <laughs> queer, the thing, the back to the queer authorship point, to rope Grant in here, because there's a whole group of authors that he's read that I have yet to get to, you have Brett Easton Ellis, whose most notable book is American Psycho, which is in no way, like, no one looks at that and is like, well, that's a queer classic. It's not, but it's an American classic that was written by a very gay male author who's, like, constantly going on about how irritated he is that gay white men aren't getting their take right now because of all the... Don't get me started. We're going to leave him alone. It's a whole Um, thing. It's a whole thing. But then you have, have, like, you have Chuck Palahniuk, whose Fight Club is... Every like cishet white dude who breathes air is like, oh my god, it's Fight Club. But it's like you realize he's like literally tearing apart everything you treasure, right? Like 
the whole idea of masculinity, he's able to see from a different light because Mm -hmm. he's a gay man. Like it's, and there's a whole group of them like Dennis Cooper in the 90s who were just kind of doing this, using transgressive fiction to say things that were uncomfortable and very punch you in the face. And like, do you want to talk about that, Grant? (laughs) I only know it in theory. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, that, I guess that holy trinity of transgressive authors is kind of what, I don't know. That, <laughs> holy? On, on holy trinity. Holy trinity. Yes, on holy yes. You can't see it, but Anthony's punching their fists in the air. <laughs> yes. Yes, I love it. No, I mean, um, that's kind of, they were kind of part of the gateway into like literature for me in general. Like yeah. Af- after, after school. Yeah. And I, when I started to like read for pleasure and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I kind of just purposely set out to find the most disturbing transgressive yeah weird stuff imaginable so they obviously came up congratulations um, yes <laughs> thank yeah. you you've done it <laughs> um, but yeah I mean I, I mean I hate to throw it right back to you but what what makes something transgressive to you like to, to you me? to you and what makes like plenty of <laughs> however you say his name plenty yeah. yeah I think like from, from what I can understand um, transgressive fiction has this it just does not care how the reader feels unless it is to make them feel like disgusted. Like there's a story that Chuck Palahniuk has, it's a short story, where he was, he is testing it out on the road. Um, he's like, I just wrote a short story and he started reading it. There was every single time he read it in every single um, spot, someone passed out and had to be rushed to the emergency room. It was a short story, Guts. Yeah, it was, yes, it was Guts, yeah, exactly. And, like, he, like, everyone was like, well, how do you feel about that? And he was like, that's why I write. To me, that's a transgressive fiction author. Like, they, yes. they're not in it for the money. They're not in yeah. it for the fame. They don't care. They're like, all right, how can I make you throw up today? And <laughs> how much can I make you throw up today? Like, but there's craft to that, you know yeah. what I mean? It's it, There's value to that kind of... But I think that's the thing that I love about, like queer authorship and where we're going is that you can be that. You can also mm-hmm. be Casey McQuiston. You can also be Kaya Jonte Wilson. You can be a whole range of people and have a career. <laughs> you don't have to be fitted into this slot of like, how am I going to show you my queer trauma today and you win an award? And Yeah, we finally realized that like they can begin to be happy in books now, yeah, too. Right! You, <laughs> right. Yes! You can, I mean, you can do, you can do anything. I'm I, it's nice and not nauseating anymore. I mean, there are still nauseating things, but yeah. yeah and yeah. like, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, while we're on the topic of queer authors, for the time, I mean, like most most protagonists in Brett Easton Ellis books are pretty pretty much all by mm, to right. some extent or another. Yeah. Um, um, Dennis Cooper's very. He's probably. The most explicitly, <laughs> yeah. um, you know. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's not really... It's it's a good thing that it's not as dangerous anymore, you know? Like, as... Yes. as right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't well, know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it used to... I mean, obviously, it used to be horrific for <laughs> human beings. And it's still... I mean, let's not downplay this. I hate to be that person during Pride Month, but hey, I'm that person right now. Right now? It's... Yeah, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> Wouldn't it be the most you know, pertinent right the, now the, to be that person, just to kind of, like, raise the, awareness? The highest oh, yeah. population that's dying the fastest, at least in the United States of America, mm-hmm. and statistically, I think it's the world over, are 
black trans women. Yeah. Period. Like, full stop. Where is the rage for them? Where's the video of their necks being stood on for eight minutes? I, I mean, I, I mean, let's, like, if I'm gonna, I'm sorry, I'm going there. But, like, <laughs> in it. all seriousness, being a black trans person Two out of our three listeners just turned off is, like, is <laughs> dangerous. Only it causes pain, it kills you, it's all those things. So, in a sense, it, you know, that danger hasn't gone anywhere, but... There are people who are like, I don't want to talk about that with the public. I don't want my career to be centered on how hurt, hurtful this is. I'm going to turn that pain into some kind of joy because, and I'm going to make money off of you. Why not? Because I might die tomorrow. <laughs> you yeah, know? And I think ultimately there is value in both. Like for every person mm-hmm. who feels more seen by like, here is this traumatic story of a coming out. Here was a lot of fallout. Here was a lot of trauma for somebody who has experienced that it's a good way of feeling seen, a way of feeling not alone, mm-hmm. of being understood. But then just as equally, let's have a story of a happy coming out. Let's have our love, Simon. I am going to bring up love, Simon. Oh, we can have that, that for a second. I love, no, we're not fighting. Why are we fighting? I mean, we're going to fight the rest of the world. In oh, second. I love that book. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. Question but, for wait, oh, Go ahead. But just as validly, for again, somebody who may or may not have had a traumatic experience with coming out, who knows that it's not safe for them to do so, whatever, mm-hmm. if they can read this idealized version of what we want the world to be like, of what a happy way for that to happen is, that's just as hopeful because it is ultimately a way to keep going and mm-hmm. feel good about what you read and know that like if every book out there only has traumatic coming out, you're going to think the only option is a traumatic coming out. Like We need to have both <laughs> options expressed. I was furious when I came out because when I came out, everyone was like, Finally, <laughs> And I was like, excuse me? Where's the rage? Where's the pain? Where's my parents kicking me out of my grandmother's house? What is going on? Yeah, and it doesn't was, have to be like, like that, it was but if true, that's it your was, only story. It was so cushy. It was so, like, like the internal turmoil was there for a, a bit. But after that, it was just like, everyone was like, yeah, okay, and? Sounds vaguely reminiscent of Kurt coming out to his father on Glee. The, Don't worry, vaguely. I won't tag him again. Vaguely. Thank you. <laughs> Are we but yeah, gonna no, fight yeah. over Kurt? We're not fighting over Kurt. No, okay, no good. we all love Kurt. Yeah. Good. And Blake. Good. Yes, same. Fantastic. Yes. We can fight about Sebastian. <laughs> no, you, you okay. And Dave. <laughs> okay. Okay. Swerve question, Anthony. <laughs> yes. Because we had a, we've episode. had repeated discussions about like uh, people of color writing the uh, books about their trauma or their struggle, mm-hmm. and how you have an aversion to it because you'd rather just see a person of color writing some grand epic fantasy. Yeah. Rather than now, for a, a queer author, do you have that same aversion? Like, if you look at the back of their book and it's about the struggle, do you have that same reaction? Like, oh, why can't you just write about something yes. fun or lighthearted or fantastic? So here's, I mean, with, my, with queer authors, it's a bit different because I feel very much like black authors, thankfully, have been innovative from jump. Like, as soon as they learned how to write. Phyllis Wheatley was doing things to poetry that you're not supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. We've been innovating the whole time. Queer authors have been so, for so long, for like a hundred years, have been kind of like stuck in this little like vein of like, there's three little stories you get to tell and anyone who does that outside of, or who steps outside of that isn't really queer. Like, it's a weird field. We're only just now beginning to break free. and. Even then, we've added happy stories to that, right? So yeah. now everything's like, you gotta be happy, you gotta be happy. I don't wanna read your queer story if it's not happy. It's like, there's only happy and only trauma and there's nothing in between. And it's like, 
You know what I want to see? Something in I between. I want to see. Well, I want to see more people do what Marlon James did. Marlon James won the Booker Prize for *A Brief History of Seven Killings*, in which several gay characters appear because he is a gay man. Um, however, this like almost 800-page brick has 23 different perspectives, and all of these people are trying to kill um, Bob Marley. <laughs> okay. Because that's what really happened. Like, he took this, like, slice from, you know, actual history because he grew up around the time and his dad was a police officer helping to solve that whole, like, I mean, Bob Marley didn't die, but he was shot. But the point is, like, that's not, like, that's cool. Nobody looks at that and goes, oh, that gay author did that great gay thing. Like, no. They're like, that author's brilliant. He did great things. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, I like to sleep with men. And they're like, oh, Tell me more. Like, that's cool. I want to see way more of that. I want to see innovation. I want to see not, I don't want to see people, you know, having to come out because they happened to write two or three queer novels and then suddenly it's like, do you can you can say Becky's name. It's okay. Oh, it's, it's, because we can fight the rest of the world for Becky. It's infuriating that you have to, like, say that you belong in the fam, (laughs) you know, in order to write about the fam. Like, before you're ready to say it, too. Yeah, like, right. there yes. was Yeah. There was no reason that she should have had to be forced to come out, at least not outed by somebody else against her will. Correct. But uh, there is no reason, because even, if, okay, yes, there is also a whole thing with, like, straight women writing gay male romance. But I see, like, but yes, that's a that's staple a thing. of romance literature. You can't pull it out. Like, there's... Yeah. But also, Becky did what we want everyone to do in that situation. Anybody who's writing something that is not, like, a very direct experience of their own life. Mm -hmm. She did the homework. She talked to gay teens. She went to, like, uh, what, Atlanta Resource Centers or whatever. I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah. She uh, she worked there. Like, she she was a therapist or something. Yeah. she knew what she was talking about. She wasn't just going, this is what I think it's like. This is how I have heard it happens. I am going to do no homework about this. Well, and it's funny because the only only reason that people jumped on her is because she's a white woman. And I I say this because N.K. Jemisin, who is a black woman, has said on several occasions, I am not gay. I am not bi. I am not, like, she's fully said, queer folks, if I get it wrong, send me your letters, send me your emails, and I will do better in the future, because if I get it wrong, I need to hear from you. Now, she says that about all of the different characters that she writes, because she writes across a huge field of deaf characters, blind characters, I mean, everything. The point, though, is that why did we jump on Becky for for doing something that NK gets away with? It's not because NK's more brilliant. She is. That's not the point. The point is, Becky's a white woman. And yep. there's what we're doing these days is that we're targeting cishet white people because, I mean, okay, fine, like, y'all can learn to live with it. But the point is, like, <laughs> like it, it's, a reverse, it's a reverse thing. It's a reverse attack. And it's unnecessary. So then when she comes out a... as bisexual, yeah. everyone goes, oh, it's a publicity stunt. And it's like... Okay, guys, but I, you literally just go right, you into proved, it. First of yeah. all, you proved her point, and second of all, the queer community that I came out to was not that. We we have always been welcoming. We have always been like, we love you. Come on, we'll protect you against the world. But like I was telling you this yes, the, yesterday, mm-hmm. last night, that there's this sort of reverse thing happening that I'm very leery of. You know, young people have all this language 
right now. And they just, I mean, you know, 12 year olds coming out as non-binary. And I'm like, excuse me? I didn't know what that was until I was 27 and sitting at a bar. Like, get past the vodka. Um, I'm non-binary. But like, they're just like at 12, like, I'm non-binary, mom, and it's fine. And there is no gender. And you're just like, all right, go ahead. But those of us who are older have this aversion to coming out. Like, we come out in stages and in steps and, and it's fine, it happens. But there's this weird sort of valence to it where it's like, oh, well, it's unsafe for me. I don't feel safe. And that's good. That's good. If you don't feel safe, yeah. don't do it. I'm not saying you should be forced to come out. But or frankly, I, if you just don't want people to know. If you don't want people to know, right, exactly. But, there, but it's interesting to view it from a perspective of, you know, in 2000. It's been so long that I actually forgot when I came out. Um, <laughs> in 2011, when I came out, it was the exact opposite. It Gets Better campaigns were everywhere. Glee was everywhere. I mean, yeah. everybody was saying, come out, come out, come out. We'll protect you. We love you. I had all of my friends, when I told them that I was coming out, literally texted me, called me, bought me coffee. Like They were like, you're going to be okay because if we have to fight your parents for you, we will. And they were That's a moment of comfort, too. There's an army behind you willing to fight for you. Yeah. That's dissipated now. So that it's like if you're not enough, right? Like if you're not something else besides queer. Like if you're just a white queer person, it's like, oh, you have all the privileges. You'll be fine. And it's like, so queer. Like, it still hurts. Like, help, you know? But there's, I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. Another rant. No, a little bit bit derailed from the point you're making, too. I feel like also, especially in just the young adult literature online community, someone's getting crucified every day of the week. It was John, now it's Becky. Like, Rainbow Rowell was in there in the middle. And there's about 1,500 people in there you forgot. Tomorrow, whoever's on top is going to be next. Yeah, right. Because, yes. And it's. And like I'm, this inane, <laughs> to use yeah. a proper word. And this is derailing a little bit. Like this is also not a don't call people out for doing bad things. Like yes, we should make sure that like if somebody's over here murdering babies in their spare time, mm-hmm. that if they write a murder in babies fiction book, we should maybe have some transparency about that. Yeah. But like that is a pretty extreme example, though. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. just because somebody does one thing that you don't like or you think they're too popular and now there has to be something that yeah. we have to knock them down for, maybe unpack your reason behind that a little But bit. also, I think call-out culture is a really strange thing in the country that elected Donald Trump. <laughs> okay? Like, y'all can sit down somewhere. That third listener. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Like, like, for real, though, like, like have several seats. Like, yeah. calm down. <laughs> I think I see our first flames coming after this I'm, episode. I'm sorry. I've been waiting for flames. Send so me I'm your waiting. hate mail. I'm excited. <laughs> have we actually gotten any hate mail before? No, not yet. Oh, man. No. no. Aaron, you haven't said any good queer books yet. I, I don't have really any. I, I'm kind of, like, in the boat where, like, besides reading, like, the fan fiction songs, like I haven't really read the But isn't anime like pretty gay though? Yes. Yeah. You're like even when wrong. it's not trying to be gay, they, um, like like there's more of a fan service element to anime right. and manga though, which is pretty interesting and I'm not cuz I don't know much about it, so I'm not going to pretend that I do, <laughs> but there's like a lot more like homophobia in like Oh, in, yeah. in Japanese and like Korean culture where they are like Sure. Putting all these fan service things out. But, like, you don't really... There is, like, Yuri, so that's, like, girl, girl, slash lesbian. Like, the only one that I've read out of that is A Tropical Fish, Yearns for Snow. 
Oh, right. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Anthony yeah. did uh, recommend to me, and it's basically like this girl moves overseas, and mm-hmm. uh, she goes to the aquarium and meets her upperclassmen, and she just kind of like falls in love with her upperclassmen. Oh. Cute. And so she's kind of got this like, oh, she's like the super shy like yeah. type, and then her um, upperclassman is more just like trying to work in the aquarium, and it's just really cute. But then, like, you have... Her upperclassmen. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have, like, other, like, gay types of anime. The one that comes to mind for me is number six, which is more oh. of a mature style. So, like, if you're younger, please don't watch number six. <laughs> but, um... What was that, that again? <laughs> number six. Um, it's very um, dystopian-styled. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good. I liked number six. Um, and then you have the more, like ones that we don't talk about because they're not safe for family friendly like podcast listening that like I don't really want to talk about oh, that I've seen. Yeah. Those are very prevalent as well. That's and true. The that's... thing that middle schoolers love to just throw out at me and they're like don't go on that website because it has this and I'm like really kid? That's that's <laughs> okay. where the um, if anybody knows the meme and I know Jen will know the meme as soon as I say it the yaoi hands meme um, that is uh, the gay uh boy boy type manga is yaoi and there's this thing where everyone just draws the guy's hands really really big and -hmm. it just gets progressively worse as the manga goes on because this person can't draw hands and all they can do is just make them bigger i mean can any of us really draw hands kind of but their hands hands are basically as big as their (laughs) torso at this point and you're just like how did you draw this that is so extra yes that's number six okay Ooh, um, nice. It's very good. I like it. Um, you also see it in video games as well. Mm. Ca- like, starting to become more prevalent. You have this in more American-style games. Like, you have Dragon Age, yeah. where oh, this yeah. is more mm-hmm. of a thing now. Yeah. Um, I really like Dragon Age because you do have that type of thing. Yeah. The and there's preferences that are involved mm-hmm. with certain characters, so you're not just getting every character's, like, immediately by, which isn't bad or wrong but like everyone has a preference and you can explore all these different preferences with multiple characters so it's That's a replayability cool. mass effect as well mm-hmm. I yeah. think it was three. Yeah. Mass yeah. Effect 3 is the thing that does that as well Skyrim kind of touches on it but that's where everyone is basically by but like that's not bad but there's no replayability factor in the fact that right. you go out and Everyone has the exact same preference, so it doesn't really matter who you pick. You can just pick anyone out of the whole entire lot. And yeah. you're like, ugh. And then we have, like, Life is Strange, which is a fantastic mm. game. Yeah. Totally mm. recommend. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of other games off the top of my head. I know that there was one, and they're obviously younger characters, so it was just more of an exploration type thing. But I can think of Fragile Moon, which oh. is a Japanese game. It's for the, it was for the Wii. Um, hmm. And it's a, another dystopian. Um, yeah, it is called Fragile Dreams, Farewell, Ruins of the Moon. And you're basically hmm. like this kid. And the kid has been living with his grandfather this whole entire time. Or who he perce- who he kind of labels as his grandfather. Like, that's the person who's raised him. Yeah. And it's a dystopian world. A lot of... There's not a lot that's there. It definitely does take on that Japanese horror aspect at one point. 
in certain parts of it, which is really interesting because Japanese horror is a whole different monster from American horror. horror. Let me tell you this right now. But um, there's a character in it called Crow, and you find out later some certain things about him, which makes this whole entire scenario even worse when I kind of spoil it for people, but the game's been out for, like, years, so you get spoilers. Congratulations. Um... He teases your character for a while, and he takes you on this runaround through an abandoned theme park. And by the time you get to the end, you realize that he's just really lonely and he wants friends. And you guys become friends, and you guys like actually do things together. And he actually kisses your character by the end of his little arc. And then you leave him, which is really cute and whatever. But then you realize like later on, like he's actually a robot and he's dying and so he did it so he could have that experience at the very end so like there's that too Mm. and then everyone you know but there's a lot of different (laughs) games that i can think of that have and manga that have that style of pride theme overall but like they're different stories than just the struggle because you're doing multiple things at once Right. I feel like everyone's looking up something now. <laughs> well, I, I, I am listening. I, I know, but you're all looking up something, and I'm like, what are you looking up? I yeah, want to yeah. know. I wanted to bring up a point that Anthony brought up before in yeah. the Google Doc um, about representation in kids lit. Mm. I mean, and this actually goes to a couple of books that I have picked up this year that I completely forgot, and they're wonderful. Uncle Bobby's Wedding. Oh, I haven't read that one yet. It's a good. It was pretty cute. Oh, it was pretty cute. The illustrations are beautiful. And I totally forgot... Hold on. Give me a second. Give me a second. Where is it? Julian at the wedding. Oh. I saw you read it, and then I it was like, oh, this this is cool. This oh, look at the paper. Look at this artwork. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Julian at the wedding is one of the best. Well, okay. So there's uh, the first one, which is Julian is a mermaid. Yeah. Beautiful. But Julian at the wedding is gorgeous, and every person who breathes air should read that, especially if you are raising children, um, because. I, what I love about picture books that have queer content, and that there's been an explosion in the last three years. I mean, just everywhere. Mm-hmm. The reason that I think it's important is because, well, obviously, is because it gives not just the kids the insight and the availability to see these things in at their level, but it gives parents an awareness that they're not going to get from the doctors who birth their children, that they're not going to get from the society at large, um, that there aren't enough TV shows that are going to help them. I mean, that literally, you need it coming from somewhere. And if books are an incredible like venue, if you're reading to your child, representational, I hate saying it that way, but it's true, representational, you know, queer lit, in picture books um, in a language that they understand, it really helps you understand that your child is easily going to become someone that you don't recognize, that you don't know how to have conversations with because you didn't have that handbook. And I think if you, but, but if you start at a very, very, very early age, you're, it's already in your brain. You're already thinking, you're already sort of, you know, because the yeah, well, average age for trans coming out is six. Average. But also not just from, obviously, yes, making sure that children are aware that that is a thing they can be, but, like, 
children with two mommies read books too. Right. Every single picture book has a mommy and a daddy. Right. Exactly. And like this goes, you know, two mommies, two daddies, one parent is dead, one parent is remarried. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever situation of lifestyle that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean. Yes. And and it's already it's having an incredible impact because obviously if it's if it's happening in picture books it's happening across uh children's literature as a whole and this is why you have 12 year olds saying to their teachers saying to their parents saying to their grandparents there's no such thing as gender i am who i am and you can't tell me anything else and it's just like and they have the vocabulary that's what's striking about it is that That's these cool. are not fools you know these are kids who have regular lunchroom conversations about their gender identities or yep. their um sorry your kids are having conversations about sexual identity get over it like they they know how important this is personally they internalize yeah. it and then they spit it back out and sure maybe they're using internet terms but what are you going to do? Like, remove your kid from the internet? I mean, like, it, we're real. Sorry. Get over it. And, like, I'm so proud of these little... Uh, I'm not choking up. I'm choking up. I'm really proud of, like... the are getting like, verklempt. The middle school kids, especially, because it's usually when it starts, for knowing what to do, how to say it, and how to be allies to each other. Mm-hmm. Like, they right. already know how to do that at 12. Imagine who they're going to be at 22 going to college like please you know I've had 15 boyfriends since like are you serious what like you're 22 what are you kidding me 15 boyfriends like what's wrong with you you know like it's amazing anyway like 50 year old people out there they haven't had 15 significant others in their lifespan right yeah but yeah yeah I don't know if you're scared people read (laughs) it's available to you we can give you lists I'm not afraid come ask me questions it's fine anyway that's assuming like one of the listeners turned it back on. And it's, it's <laughs> Are you saying that there's yeah. only three? I was exaggerating. It's it's always it's always going to be three for me. Like there's if, at least five. I'm like oh, one of three like, people on earth that like this movie. I'm one of three people. You know, it's, it's always going to be three. Yeah. Something about trinities. Well, we didn't even get to movies. Oh well, it's fine. I mean, we have we have oh, ten minutes. Yeah, a few minutes. Did you Wait, have something? Oh, you were going to say something? Yeah, yeah. Movies. No, I, I was just going to recommend like a specific director. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, Kenneth Anger from. Ooh. He's kind of a very influential avant-garde filmmaker. He started in like the 50s. Um, uh, he actually was brought to trial on obscenity on charges. I think it was for Scorpio Rising. Oh, but, interesting. But anyways, he uh, yeah, he was one of the first filmmakers to... Re- I mean, he was, he was an underground filmmaker, but... Sure. Um, you passed me. Yeah. <gasps> no, he, he was really... He was one of the first to really bring those themes like to the forefront, and uh, he suffered for it. That's like a slow motion astral projection. I mean, your your soul is just leaving your body. Uh, yeah, I just the cover of the, I'm just, I'm it's yeah. me. It's like yeah, go ahead, like read me for filth. It's fine. I'm okay. I'm I'm ready. Yeah, and uh, most of his short films are available on YouTube, so check them out. Great. You know, I'm looking up games. That, are we allowed that have to? Queer are we allowed to? I found so many. Get a, are we allowed to talk about Pride Month in television and film without mentioning Sense Eight? I don't think we are. Um, <laughs> I there needs really to be like a, a Sense Eight podcast. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not yeah. something we can loan out. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean? Because we don't have the DVDs. Oh, oh, right. Because it was a Netflix series. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about mm-hmm. this game. Yeah, the Wachowskis are. I mean, you know. we only need three more of us to be a cluster. 
<laughs> yeah. I love how the Wachowskis are like major trans artists um, and nobody really cared because they stick their most famous thing is the Matrix. So we're like used to them doing things that nobody understands it. So it's like, oh, the Matrix girls are trans. All right, cool. We're good. Like, no, like nobody that. cared. It's I love amazing. those trilogies or that trilogy and the, the show. Sense8 is that was beautiful. I watched a lot of like. It remains homophobic that Sense8 was canceled during Pride Month. Wait, what? Oh, what? When it yeah, first came out a couple years ago, it came out during June, which is the most homophobic possible. Couldn't you wait till July? No, clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> or could you, I don't know, maybe not cancel it? Netflix. Netflix has a tr- bad track record of like something really good comes out, everyone loves it, canceled. Yeah, Daredevil? Like, yeah, like Daredevil? At Net- yeah. At Netflix, consider making more than one and a half seasons of anything ever. Daredevil at least got three seasons. But still! Here's the thing about Netflix. And I can say this because I pay y'all. Get over it. Me too. Y'all are anti-black. Y'all are anti-queer, particularly anti-trans. Y'all are anti-any progression, period. Fight me. Send me hate mail. I don't care. Um, why do I yes, because the CEO of Netflix is definitely listening to our Why do I still right pay now? them? What do I like on Netflix? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll tag the CEO of Netflix. Tag Netflix. Well, okay, don't because our professional integrity is intact. But you know, whatever. I, I, I get. I get. I, Netflix is. I can't. Right. When Disney somehow manages to be more progressive, come on, y'all. Like, like Disney. Okay. All right. It's fine. Sure. Could we use the little? It, oh my gosh, Lito, Hernando, and Daniela. Danny? Yeah. That could be the snod, Mary. Yeah, I was gonna say like which members of the cluster can we? I thought of one specifically for Anthony because you are the only other person who will care. Wait, have you watched Sensei? Wait, wait, what? Oh my gosh! Wait, wait, why? It's okay. Which one is this? I was thinking just once when Aaron was talking. I was trying to find Snugberry Kills. Anthony, Kurt Blaine, Sebastian. Oh God! That is so rude. Okay, I'm so mad. I love that one. Okay. Okay, so dogs in this fight. <laughs> easily, you just kill Sebastian. Well, definitely. Oh, um, like, yeah. And you. Sorry, Grant Gustin, I love you. I love you too, but still. So then you. Sucks. Oh, goodness. I don't know how you end up in a poly relationship with Kurt and Blaine, but you end up in a poly relationship <laughs> with Kurt and Blaine. Like, whichever one of those you have to, you know, snog and then marry before you get the other one on board, you have to just figure that out. So take the order as it goes. And I feel like Kurt's probably the harder sell. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking, but I was like, yes. maybe I'm just pitching him too hard. Like, I feel like he's probably the harder. It depends so. on which point you look at Kurt, though. But if you take... If you wait until he's, like, is, in New York, snog, then maybe it's a little bit easier. Yeah, but yeah. If, if you snog and marry his man, though, like... It, it, it's not gonna right happen. Die. Like right, yeah. So offer him Adam Lambert as a prize, and then you just got Elliot Gilbert. So we're gonna offer Elliot as a prize. Listen, Adam. I'm just saying that watching RuPaul's Drag Race when Adam Lambert is judging is too much. Like never have I wanted to actually be on RuPaul's Drag Race until he was there flirting with a drag queen. And I was like, you know what? Makeup bag. Where are you? I need wigs. I need heels. I need dresses. Let's go. Let's go see Adam Lambert. Adam Lambert is single. He is ready to mingle. Let's go. It's time. He's flawless. 
he was Joseph and Joseph it's the only reason I'll actually no actually I'm doing that show anyway sorry I am not going to say that don't get uncast from the show on this podcast you're right you're right I'm going to take I am going to take this opportunity though to uh, let you guys know that a book comes out June 13th it's called The Taking of Jake Livingston by Ryan Douglas July 13th 13th. oh I'm so sorry yes it is July 13th sorry Ryan (laughs) Um, they are non-binary they are black they are a horror writer their mind is twisted and amazing and glorious and they write young adult fiction it's so good so good they're amazing and they're a really good friend so you know and if you buy a copy of the book I promise you my name is in there somewhere you have to read to the end to find it but it's in there we really should have I'm looking at this we should plan it for August a sensate podcast August 8th so does this mean I get Ready. to watch Sensei? Yes. That was, okay. that was their, yes. their birth date. Yeah. Respective <gasps> birth dates. And the, they, they're a cluster of eight. All then born on the eighth know. month, eighth Sensei. day. Wasn't it 1988, too? Yeah. The year I was born. Even better. You can be in the cluster. I, I am the cluster. <laughs> <laughs> if you talk about, like, know. like, love scenes in any medium. Listen. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even talk about how, you know... Sex I felt like I needed a cigarette. We didn't even talk about the no. coded characters either who got faded. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll get there. Frodo and Sam. Frodo and Sam. We're, We're waiting for you. Are incredibly gay. Just read the whole book. entire thing. It's there. At least in the movies. I didn't see it in Fellowship when I read it, but maybe it's there this in the other two. This is when we call out Murther? I'm, Merlin? Oh, God. Oh, God. I yeah, palpitations. Mer- I'm not even Merlin's done with season just one. There. Listen, Merlin, Merlin literally decided instead of gaslighting their fans to just lean in. They were like, oh, our fans want us to be more gay than we are." And they just go into sure. episode one, just yeah. like yes. every single interaction between Merlin and Arthur. I swear they have a Tumblr archivist on their team. Like, they're just like, all right, how gay do they want us to be this season? Got it. And they just like... And they look. also hired Katie McGrath, so... Right! <laughs> so good. Everyone watch Merlin. It, it's At the Supergirl writers, you still have half a season left to make Kara and Lena Cannon. Please. It's it's a head trip. Mm. It's a head trip. Everyone also watch Supergirl? Yes. Oh, I should. It's, it's on good. List. It's on Netflix. I don't want this podcast to end today. But it has to. We're on fire this time. Right? I'm sorry. What? But unfortunately, it is 5.59. What? It is. My and friend. Are, there, are all of oh, us? No. Are we, we all done? <laughs> yeah. On his, you know that people you may know thing on Facebook? Yes. Guess who he has three mutual friends with? Who? Keegan-Michael Key. Oh, no. Well. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. I mean, he lives in New York, so it kind of makes sense, but also, like, what? Oh. I just only know him as Key. I didn't know the rest of his name. (laughs) I'm like, uh. Y'all. Dear listeners, hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast today. This is one we could continue for quite a while, I suppose. Yep. This will be like the, what is it, the Star Wars episode that we're going to continue to? We're always going to have in June something. Pride comes around once a year. Of course. And I'm sure we'll well, find other ways to bring it up, too. Technically twice a year if you count National Coming Out Day and no flag is November or something like that. But, yeah. For some of the inflammatory things that were uttered in this podcast by one um, Anthony... Um, 143 East by me. <laughs> Hashtag sorry not sorry. Tag me by my name. Bye. If you oh, go sorry. to our website, Anthony's email address is on there. Yep, send me emails. And his inbox is open. <laughs> I will answer. And I won't be as inflammatory as I'm sure you might be. I'll be nice about it. Because I'm professional. But I'm... <laughs> so I... 
I wasn't going to say it in the beginning portion of it, but you heard it before. So I came down the stairs the other day, and my mother was like, you know, your outfit looks so gay. I'm like, Mom, it, it came out of the closet this morning, every morning. And Aaron just threw the whole bag of popcorn <laughs> at Andy's face. I was considering throwing my water bottle, so that's probably <laughs> nicer. I was considering leaving the room. <laughs> Maybe if another one happens, Door opens I will and literally closes. leave the room. <laughs> I will grab fun. my key and leave. That was really fun. That was fun. Especially since I'm reading two very big, very not gay books. So I'm not getting the camera. What? Yeah. <laughs> Are you being invisible? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love your look, Raymond. That's beautiful. <laughs>